Welcome back to Do Patrol Radio, WDPR 96.3, your favorite interdimensional radio station. Back at the house, Cyborg rallies the gang to keep up the search for the chief just when a magical man appears with a mission for the Do Patrol. So turn on, tune in, and drop dead. This is Do Patrol Radio. All right, welcome back, nobodies. If you're still listening to the station, then you've discovered our show, where today we're reviewing episode four of Doom Patrol, which is titled Colt Patrol. Colt Patrol is based off of a Grant Morrison story of Doom Patrol in the 1989 series. Um, It is based off issue number 31. And issue number 31, you can actually find it uh, if you don't have the books with you then you can actually find them on the DC Universe app. Um, I think all his his entire run of the 1989 series is on there. So look up issue 31. And uh, this, is a, this is a pretty faithful uh, adaptation of this kind of story. We're getting introduced to a lot of crazy stuff. Um, and what's, what's kind of interesting about this episode as a whole before we dive into it is that it's going to be kind of like a arc starter like this is like the start of a of an arc uh even though we are also talking about the seasons arc which is still trying to find now is calder so before we get into it nate do you have any jo- uh general um perspectives on today's episode <laughs> yeah i like that you called it an arc um the way that i kind of viewed it is um more so in relation to the stories um, as a whole instead of just like the single issue or yeah, mm-hmm. the single issues. Um, Cause I feel like at that point in the book, it was, um, I kind of want to say it's like a side plotty type thing. Yeah. It's also what it was like in the show. Yes. So I thought it was kind of cool how, I guess if we're going on that trail of, if this is considered a filler episode um, or if this arc Mm-hmm. that we're going to be discussing is considered the filler episodes. Yeah. Um, then I can see like exactly why yes. they chose that story to be mm-hmm. a filler episode. Cause in the book, it's very self-contained and it has nothing to do with like the, uh, the big villain arc that was happening at that time. And throughout the, the series, um, it was just like a, a, a few issue thing that happened. And then, uh, yeah. it, it was, it was done. So, and the, it, I think the, it, it ends the, no, yeah, no, because then the last issue was the Mala and all that stuff. Anyway, yeah, yeah, we'll we'll talk uh, we'll talk a little bit about the about the issue. Um, if you've seen the episode, then it's not really spoiling anything. But if you, uh, I mean, you can go ahead and skip ahead if you don't want us to hear us talk about the book. But what? we're gonna, we're going to compare the book and the show a little bit, not too much. I'm not going to go and nitpick like the differences and all that. But I'm the, curious if people if people listen to this before they watch the episode. Maybe they don't watch the episode at all. That'd be neat. Maybe some people don't have the DC Universe app, and this is the only way they get to find out. Maybe about some this. people don't have a TV. I know some people don't oh, have a TV. Maybe they're listening to this through a radio station in a desert, in the middle of nowhere, on a different planet, in a different dimension, in a museum. Ooh, and they're staring at a painting, and they're like, "Why is a sound coming out of that painting?" But anyways, um, when I first read this story, uh, when I read Volume One of Doom Patrol. It did feel like that. I, I remember being like, I didn't really care, or you know, mm-hmm. it, it, I mean, there was. It a was lot, like those last two yeah. arcs. It was just like uh, they were. It was like it was done because there was um, there was 
a bigger um, event happening mm-hmm. that was more interpersonal with um, Cliff Steele and Crazy Jane, where he had just gone through the underground and it like severely messed up his body. So then Niles Calder built him a new like like black metal yeah. body, and it was like the new newest version or something. So he was just wait. Trans- hang on, was it Niles or was it um, Jason? No, um, Maxwell Lord. I think Maxwell Lord built that body, and he was like, "Oh yeah, let and me show you." He was like, "Yeah, new... give it to you." Yeah, I think that was a thing. If I'm if I'm wrong, then yell at me. I'm wrong. Um, I'm flipping, I'm flipping and dripping and dipping and shipping and gosh, that whole arc is and so zipping. Long. Um, and so oh yeah. no, it's it's the chief. He's building it. The chief builds it. Yeah, he's building it. That's the yeah. And so I think at first, like. It's uh it's easy to confuse what's going on in, in today's episode um with um the scissormen and uh and and the first arc the first arc which is uh crawling from the wreckage. It's it's very similar. And and so what happens in both the book and the episode, uh Cult Patrol, is we get introduced to a character known as Willoughby Kipling. And Willoughby Kipling, uh, who does it remind you of, Nathan? He reminds me of a lot of uh, John Constantine. That is very accurate, because when the character was originally created by Vertigo Comics, it was there, John Constantine. Does Willoughby Kipling, Willoughby Willoughby Kipling, have a whole series to himself? Um, let me see. Or was it just they couldn't cross over the? They didn't have the rights to cross over Constantine and into Vertigo. That doesn't make sense to me. No, he's he's a um I mean, I guess they use him in other things, but he was introduced in issue 31 mm-hmm. for Doom Patrol. Okay. And it's a he's a Grant Morrison character. Um it says Richard uh Richard Case is also yep. a co-creator of this character, so maybe he's been used in other things and when Vertigo needed a John Constantine, they threw him in somewhere, mm-hmm. but um mostly it's his big thing is is this um cult of the unwritten book mm-hmm. this story arc um and so like they introduce willoughby kipling who very much is a john constantine he's played by uh mark shepherd who i guess if you're a huge fan of supernatural you will know him from that um he has a, some other famous small roles in other cult shows like firefly and and whatnot but most importantly he plays a uh, a major recurring character in supernatural um and so Willoughby Kipling is introduced in this uh, episode. So to also, um, when we when we talk about the seasons arc, and I'm trying to relate this so it doesn't seem so much like a filler episode because mm-hmm. I think it, I think it both is and isn't. Yeah. Um, and that's the neat balancing act. But uh, Mr. Nobody shows up. He takes the chief away, and then he said that. Uh, his his enemies would would be kind of coming through the woodwork, kind of. Um, not that Kipling is an enemy of 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 the chief, but his acquaintances are now looking for him and stuff. Like since the chief is out of the picture, um, things like this are happening to the Doom Patrol Manor, where they're like, I don't know who the hell this guy is, but I don't know why he's here. Um, but he's looking. Uh, Willoughby Kipling comes to the manor to seek uh, the chief's help. Um, 
the way that this this episode is going to start is it's, it's going to start with um, kind of like not so much a not so much a MacGuffin, but it's a character who is also a MacGuffin. He, um, we get introduced to the unwritten book, which is a kid um, who has like tattoos on him. Uh, I think I think it's actual writing. I don't think it's tattoos. But it's like, like Sharpie. I mean, like in both production and what it's supposed no, no, to be. Yeah, yeah, I, I think it's that. also supposed to be. But how are the words getting onto his body? Because I noticed, like, as he was growing up, he would just get more and more. Mm-hmm. And so, what's and it's hard to explain this in audio format with this kind of show. But it's like they introduce a kid who's got very normal parents. We've seen something similar to this uh, with the nuclear family in Titans. So it's not too. It's almost like on brand, where it's like, oh, um, weird kind of very nuclear type family hence the joke um where they come in and they're like doing this birthday thing for him but it's like a kid with tattoos on him and then as he gets older the tattoos are are more and more showing up they are tattoos in the book so are they tattooing him or is he growing up and those tattoos are showing up because that's what i was starting to think i was like if it's an unwritten book and they're waiting for the book to be complete is it because he's growing up and as he gets I think that's the idea, what they're going with in the show. Um, <clears throat> there's one speech bubble in Almost the like book. spots on like a Dalmatian. Yeah, that's kind of cool. There's one speech bubble and it says, So, 18 years ago, a very special child was born. That child's skin was almost completely covered in tattooed words. Mm-hmm. Uh, a bona fide miracle. So yeah, he was born with the tattoos. And so as he was getting older, the the scripture was, was showing up more and more. Until they knew at his 18th birthday they were like okay then the book will be complete and then we have to read it so that's what and in somewhere in the episode will it will it be kipling he states that he has to stop the world from ending again which either they stopped it the first time or it has ended before and restarted kind of thing um so i took that when i first heard it in the episode i was thinking did he just say the world at some point ended and then started back up again? Or that Did he say that? He said, I have to stop. Um, I need Niles' help to stop the world from ending again. And so I, I didn't know if that meant like they had stopped it previously or it had ended and then restarted. I think they stopped it previously. Stopped it previously. Yeah. Um, I have a question. When they show Willoughby first... Um, is it the first time we see him where the, his, the his enemies are coming out of the woodwork, yes. essentially? Okay. <laughs> yes, they very much are. I want to talk a little bit about that. Yeah. Um, so that, that is a scene in That's the in the book. Right? It's a little different. Mm-hmm. Um, the assassins that are after him are different. But I do want to pinpoint he's... Can you... I don't know if you can go back and... I don't know if the we books? can pull it up. But yeah, the book that I he's reading both. from. Yeah. The book he's reading mm-hmm. in the in the show mm-hmm. is called Who Killed Cock Robin? So is it a child's book? It is. They they are kind of um, okay. Cool. Because that's a uh, here. I'll show you. It's, and if uh, it's from, I want to know if they actually pull it from the actual like the book. No. Do you know what the book I is have, in yeah. the book? Okay. So you've done sh- your research. Yeah, that's what I was doing, staring at my computer before we recorded. Um, the book that he's reading in the episode in the TV show is called "Who Killed Cock Robin," is an English nursery rhyme which has been much used as a murder archetype in world culture. Uh, whatever that means, right? Um, 
But then in the book, he's reading a child's garden of verses. Mm -hmm. And in this is a collected work of uh, nursery rhymes, similar to how in Crawling from the Wreckage, they had the scissor men who came from uh, that kind of, uh, what is that? It's like a Russian, it's like some fable about like, Kids who, oh, yeah. who um, do bad and the oh, scissor yeah, man yeah, shows yeah, up yeah, and yeah. like cuts um, the kid. Oh my god. Oh gosh. What it's is wild. That? But it's yeah. similar to that. And so you that's, know, they made a point in that and there's an episode of The Office where Dwight talks about the scissor man. The scissor man? Um, yeah. Uh Strupita <laughs> is what it is, yeah. And so there's a lot that this uh story arc it's almost par- parallel to um it's almost parallel to the scissor man story and 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 a little, but it's um, a little. Cause, mm-hmm. Yeah, because there is still Orthwith or, a, Orthquith or however yeah, you pronounce that. Because yeah. that is still essentially nowhere. That is still essentially the, the, the book of the un... What is they, it? The see, <laughs> like where they go, like that different yeah. dimension. It's very, they go to a different dimension. very, very, there's very a, similar. There's like two archdukes or yeah. whatever. So it's, it's like... so similar. And they, and oh, man. This is one, there a problem with that? I don't know. It's different ideas, but what is that? It's like the wh- same. What is that? What is that overarching? The entire like the first time you know you see the blades coming through the wall in, mm-hmm. in the TV show, and I was thinking, oh, here come the scissor men. Yeah, like, exactly. Like we're gonna have to stop everything right now. Bust yeah. out the like smoke signals, light uh, light a fire to Gondor or whatever, and be like, yo, scissor men are in town. Yeah, but it's not. Mm-mm. It's uh, the sisters of the lady who cuts or something like that. Yeah, which they they are pulled from the book as well. Like they they exist. It, but in in the beginning of the issue thirty one, they're talking about uh, fear the sky, which they call yeah, themselves. Yeah, fear the sky. Those is, are the assassins yeah. that that come after. It's assassins uh, who one has a sun head, one has a moon head, and one has a planet head. Like a, a planet. Yes. <laughs> Here's the thing: you got to put a ring around it to make it so that people. So know it's, it's a planetoid. A planet. Yeah. Planetoid is that a? Can I say that word? Yeah, let's go with that. I like that. What's the difference between a planetoid and a regular planet? It's just up. it looks like a planet, <laughs> but it not may, may not be a planet. Smaller, but like you got. If you don't do? put a you don't put a Saturn ring around it, people don't know it's a planet. Hey, it could be a Uranus ring, man. Would you call me? <laughs> um, but yeah, so uh, the in, in the book he's reading a child's garden of verses. Um, and it has a lot of different, let's see, it contains about 65 poems, including, uh, Oh, so that's a real, it's a real book. They're both real books. Oh, nuts, man. <laughs> so he reads from the unseen playmate. Is that something that is, is that a real, it's one of the poems in there, but he's not reading, um, who killed cock Robin. Okay. Um, which there's, so going back into the, the broader sense of this episode it's nice that this show is doing this balancing act of, hey, we have like an overarching thing to cover, but at the same time, we can do flavor of the day type episodes, um, which I, I feel like I can't even say that because um, it's not it's not an arc that's ended like. This is probably this will probably be like yeah. So two, spoilers. Uh, there's probably going to be two parts. It's yeah, a, it ends a on a cliffhanger. <laughs> it ends on a cliffhanger. So it's like there will be another episode at least to talk about what's going on in today's episode. Mm-hmm. But then there is the overarching, um, which makes sense because it's what like four issues. 
Which or something? The, yeah, yeah, this, yeah, yeah, this yeah, yeah. Arc, this Willoughby yeah. arc and There's stuff. not much. It's, it's, I think it's probably like three, three, com, uh, three issues because then the, the last one in the first volume of Doom Patrol is that uh, Monsieur Moloch and, and the brain yeah. little, little doodad. Yeah, it's 31 to 33. Mm-hmm. So three uh, issues. So, but what's nice is that within the episode, there are these moments where I felt like, like really kind of like, yeah, I'm so glad that this is in the episode because it, it's character development moments. Mm-hmm. Um, when you first meet Willoughby, when, when Willoughby, Willoughby Kipling first meets Doom Patrol, although it's very engaging because you know these characters and you love them, it is a bit of Willoughby Kipling as a plot device to explain to the audience in in his flavor, like, this is what's going on, this is the solution, this is what you need to get, and here's how to solve the the issue so we can find, so that you guys can get on with your day. A, an excuse to pull Doom Patrol into this uh, kind of hot mess. Which always happens in the, in the issues. I mean, I remember yeah. reading Grant Morrison's run, and, like, every time, just, like, the... Just every start to the book or whatever their problem was just mm-hmm. was always something appearing. And it was yeah. like, oh, hey, well, we need you. And yeah. it's like, oh, well, it, it seems What's like it really came out cool of nowhere. In, in, in the volume two of Doom Patrol, when they do the the Eye of the Poopus and then the weird, like, whatever <laughs> whatever war happens in the second volume of Doom Patrol, where it's like the two alien interdimensional races yeah. fighting each other, is that the entire arc is that kind of confusion and it's the last issue where they go oh here's the explanation mm-hmm. none of this matters mm-hmm. <laughs> and the whole, what you guys need to do is nothing at all and then it's it, the war ends and it's like it's crazy so they kind of flipped the script on that one which is cool but what i found really cool was that the entire episode wasn't that it was like they did what they needed to do for for like the audience to kind of be on the same page but then we got really cool moments with Willoughby where he was having a conversation with Cyborg. And so Cyborg was, um, Cyborg is tr- definitely trying to, now that he's part of the picture, unlike last episode where he was taken out of Paraguay, so he didn't get to assist and, and be the team leader that he's been trying to be so that he can be like this Justice League candidate. Um, this was his, this was the episode. This is the episode where he's trying to flex that muscle of like, I'm a hero. We're going to be heroes. We're in this together. We're going to do it my way. And um, this was his his time to shine. And he tries. I I, I don't want to say he fails, um, but he's definitely learning. And he's learning the ugly side of it, which is what was so cool about the episode for me was that once Willoughby Kipling was done doing magical exposition, he had this like moment where with Cyborg that wasn't, it didn't. T- it didn't drive the plot anywhere. It was just a moment between Willoughby and Cyborg talking about how Niles Calder, the chief, might actually be a piece of shit, which is something you and I talk about a lot. About how the chief, um, when you really take a closer look at what he what he's doing with Doom Patrol and why he created them in the first place, the dude has ulterior motives, and it's kind of like that that kind of uh, like uncool type. Uh, contingency type Batman type uh, mentality where it's like 
that's kind of fucked up that you're using people like this. Um, and Willoughby brings that to the table. He's like, you and I have different ideas of who Niles Calder is. And it's a moment like that. It's a moment of showing that being a hero might mean doing what's unpleasant. And so what was cool about it is that we had that moment. They didn't just like strip this episode down to here's a magical issue. Here's a magical problem. Doom Patrol gets magical solution and wins. And it wasn't like exposition, exposition, exposition. It was like we did all that in the beginning of the episode and we did it really interesting enough where you could laugh and, and, and be like, oh, wow, that's weird and that's crazy. And then they had moments where it was like um, Cyborg dealing with what it really means to be a quote-unquote hero and maybe dealing with uh, a team. And then we had moments where um, uh, Elastigirl, Rita Farr, has a conversation about suicide. Mm-hmm. And like, not to skip towards the end, but we're uh, just specifically speaking about Rita Farr, she has a, a huge step up. You know, like, last episode was was her realizing or coming to, coming to terms with like her issues. You know, we were kind of introduced with like, okay, this is a woman plagued with a, with a superpower that she doesn't want at all. And she's like dealing with it. Um, but this is the episode where she starts to come to terms and has that confidence. Mm-hmm. And, and I really like that. Um, was there anything like that really stood out to you um, in the episode? The magic. The magic part? A lot of the magic. Just how wacky it was? Yeah, I, I liked it. I liked it a lot. Um, the fact that it, it drew so heavily from these three issues was mm-hmm. a big, cool... Once we figured out what story they were pulling from mm-hmm. and flipping through the pages and seeing exactly like page to screen is great. Um, I do like the, the Willoughby Kipling parts. He's cool. I always just like a cockney guy that can use magic. Mm-hmm. They're just mm-hmm. they're just good dudes. You can trust them. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, thinking about bringing Constantine into the universe too. That's I'm I'm great with that. Dude, Constantine and Swamp Thing just they should have just made it a buddy show instead of just Swamp Thing. It's like, That'd be make crazy. It a, yeah, like make it a buddy show. I don't need a Swamp Thing origin. Just throw it as the two of them already. That'd be great. Boost your gold blue beetle. Justice League Dark Show. Yeah, Justice League Dark Show would be great. Yo, give but me a, you know what? A live I'm, action Zatanna. You know how many people would lose their minds? I'd lose my mind. I'd be one of them. <laughs> um, but you know, I'm okay with Doom Patrol being this weird, crazy Justice League mm-hmm. darky type thing. Yeah. Like what issues that they're going to have? Because that's well, yeah. that's what I want. I'm glad that we got Doom Patrol before Justice League Dark. Yeah. Well, it's it's like. Um it's one of those things where it's like you you have to remember the limits that you're putting your characters in mm-hmm. because um you know what separates Justice League from Justice League Dark from Doom Patrol to Justice Justice Society of America it's one of those things where it's like as a as a writer as a company who puts out comic books and puts out these stories um it's almost like a continuity thing where it's like now remember Doom Patrol only messes with like reality and and things not making sense and it's like it's not always there to deal with magic and so that might be the difference between will be kipling and john constantine in a shared universe where it's like now remember john constantine deals with magic he hexing, de- yeah he deals spirits, with hell and demons yeah and and willoughby 
is dimensional. Yeah, like Willoughby Apocalypse. Is, you know, Willoughby sings the Beatles song in Latin and it's a spell. Yeah. That's not a magical spell. It's a what the fuck I don't understand. Yeah. Like why like acid trip like yeah. It's a surrealist. It's Grant Morrison. Yeah, he's he's a surrealist version of John Constantine, not a spiritual magical yeah. John Constantine. I like it a lot. And so that's like the the you know, where you got to have to catch yourself and going, no 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 no. He doesn't know spells. He doesn't know any of that. Mm-hmm. He I mean, then when he's chewing knowing gum for an answer, that's not magic. Mm-hmm. That's that's uh, that's what it is. It's it's yeah. knowing gum. It's yeah. like a Dr. Seuss thing. Yeah, exactly. Um, it's a difference. I was going to say something, but I can't remember. I lost my train of thought um, and I had to we, deal with We were talking about Rita Farr. Um, uh, after that. Oh, it wasn't about suicide? No. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't about uh, Willoughby Kipling being junk. It's about Willoughby Kipling and, and, Justice and, League Dark and, and his magic and stuff. Yeah. But I, um, I kind of forgot. That's okay. That's it's perfectly um, okay. But yeah, Rita Farr has a you know she. Oh, I remembered. Oh yeah. Another ahead. thing that I really liked about this episode, <laughs> <laughs> um, the use of their their villains and their adversaries that they have, revolving door, and good to them because in the books there's new enemies popping up left and right where mm-hmm. and they're just as crazy as the next one. Because mm-hmm. um, yeah. like we were talking about the, the fear of the sky, they didn't show up, but you had the uh, dry bachelors, you had the nuns, you had or the sisters. You had all these other people. You have the hooded men. The hood men. The hood men, which are, <laughs> yeah, I mean, they're they're just as crazy. Um, and it's not for uh, a lack of repetitive, uh, mindless enemies. You know what I mean? Yeah, 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 yeah. They're not all dry bachelors that are running after them. They got, like, different levels. Yeah, what, what, they introduced the dry bachelors, and these are the ones who write letters as suitors, right? Mm-hmm. But the letters never get received, and mm-hmm. so they build up, and they, like, a, a pile of letters will build up and build up and build up, and it'll take, it'll personify itself into the spirit of those letters. And so it's like a, they are henchmen, they are, they are villains that the Doom Patrol can easily take out in this episode, and they're just they're just letters that build up the shape of a human being, and they go and fight Cyborg and uh, Willoughby Kipling, and when they get destroyed, they they devolve back into letters and and paper and stuff. It's so nicely done in the episode where like the action is like oh wow this is very it looks visually very cool because you have Cyborg doing his classic sonic cannon thing, and then Willoughby Kipling pulls out a giant fire sword. Yeah. So the action is like really cool to watch because there's something to enjoy about the lighting of the popping of the of the letters on on the uh, on the TV. It's like oh wow, it looks really it looks it looks extremely more tasteful than just bashing people's heads and and like, blood and guts and, and yeah, stuff blood as and opposed gu- to like, the last yeah, episode. Yeah, it's like it's like graphic with a with a tasteful art mm-hmm. touch to it, and I think that's the beauty of, really of, of this show. And the books and Grant Morrison and, you know, their ability to be inspired to do things in such a such a crazy yet artful approach to things where you kind of enjoy it. It's like you kind of want to rewatch that scene just to watch like the letters being put. And it might all be CGI, like all these letters and stuff. But there are times where it's like, yep. They're just dropping a bunch of like. I so saw behind the scenes photos, and they're sitting on the ground, and there's just the floor is covered with yeah, pieces of paper. Like there's moments where like the crew is definitely just like there's a guy 
throwing a box like of off paper. screen. Like yeah. they're just dumping a box of letters on mm-hmm. top of um, negative man. And they're not just compi- comprised of letters. It's also dead skin cells. Ew, what? Yeah, it's another Doom Patrol thing. Every day the human body loses 10 billion skin cells. Oh my God. Haven't you ever wondered what happens to all those dead skin cells? They don't just disappear, you know. Cult agents collect it. So they collect That's skin. That's in the skin. Issue? Yeah, it's, uh. and, and they said it in, uh, Willoughby said something about it in in the episode when, he's, when he calls them dry bachelors. He says like it's skin and love letters or something like that. Ew. And it's true. It's what they are because the faces look like patched up skin. And then when oh. they get destroyed, they just burst into letters. Huh. On like a weirdly scientific level, that would explain where the angry personalities, I mean, not only from the writing of the letters, but the DNA starts to infuse itself into the letters, creating the humanoid body. There you go. Um, but um, going back to Rita Farr, Rita Farr uh, having this, you know, this, she didn't want to be part of the team. She didn't want to be a part of this mess. But then once she feels like she's excluded, she she has such an issue with it and she is building up this confidence. We finally see Rita Farr use her uh, metahuman abilities as they were originally conceived in, in the Arnold Drake uh, comic book, which she finally uh, stretches. So. <laughs> Elasticity. She finally uses her elasticity. There you go. To a, to be a superpower, mm-hmm. <laughs> so it is a it is a cool moment because the way it happens is it happens so fast. Where um, Willoughby Kipling is trying to uh, kill the the kid, the child, the unwritten book. Elliot. Elliot is his name, um, and so he's he's trying to kill him before the the hoodmen get to uh, get to him first. And Rita Farr does... How did we completely gloss over that E.T. golden jokes that we can just pull from? Elliot? Yeah, and like they're trying to kill him and all this stuff. We were just... We were saying the plot to E.T. You're killing him. Mm-hmm. Mm, missed the joke there. Missed it, but timing is everything. That's why I interrupt your sentence to bring you this. <laughs> Breaking jokes. I don't have anything written down. Elliot what? from E.T. screams you're killing him. Take what? it away. More like killing jokes. Um, (laughs) But um, yeah, so it is really cool because it's like you, you, it comes out of nowhere and it comes at a moment of uh, desperation for Rita Farr and and a moment where she's, she's, she's having like a good time and she's, um, I've really grown up. I've really grown to love this character. Yeah. Um, I think, uh, what's her name? I think April is the actress who plays her. I, oh, I just looked it up today. Yeah. She did a DC takeover yeah, she on did. her Instagram. And, uh, yeah, I've, I've just been in love with the way that this character is. She does a cyborg impersonation at some point in the episode where she's mocking cyborg and she puts on, she drops the like mid Atlantic, um, the Hollywood accent. And she goes into like what an American accent of like Detroit or like Victor Stone would Does sound. Does she? I don't remember. Yeah, that. she's uh, uh, she's making fun of Cyborg, um, and she's saying it in like just a straight American accent. And I was like, wow, that's really good. That's like I really enjoy that because she's an actress, you know. She's a she's a trained. She if you will, is a in the award winning actress of theater. Yeah. She was a actress, god damn it. That's my watchman reference. <laughs> <laughs> um and so like 
yeah, she's she's mocking Cyborg, and, and because she's such a great actress, both in the show and in real life, she nails it. And I was like, oh wow, that was so nice to hear. It's nice to see, like, and just the entire episode, she has, she demonstrates this range with the character, um, and and I was really enjoying it when she's like, she's like having this heart to heart about suicide with Elliot, but then at the same time later on she's like. We're all going to have a good time. I need you to pick up these goddamn beads so we can mm-hmm. go on with our life. And um, I really enjoyed that. Just everything that Rita Farr brought to the table this episode. I was like, yeah, I want to see more. I want to fall in love with this character more and more. Because I think it's very easy for people to... Um, I think Cliff Steele and Crazy Jane were made to be easily accessible mm-hmm. to the audience. Like anyone who watches it goes... Oh, I love Brendan Fraser. His jokes are funny. He curses a lot. Mm-hmm. I find him cool. Like I'm, I'm sold on this character. Mm-hmm. Crazy Jane is like got badass metahuman powers. She's a cool chick. She's got good dialogue. Good dialogue. She's got witty things to say. She kills people really good. I'm sold. But Rita Farr and Negative Man are like the higher. Yeah, they're the, struggling within themselves. They're the higher difficulty characters where they go. All right, we're going to make you feel the pain of these two characters, and then we're going to make you fall in love with them, and then maybe break your heart later on with them. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm starting to, th- I'm curious as to how hard it is to balance out all of the character development um, within a single episode. Because you're dealing with the four main characters, five main characters, mm-hmm. dealing mm-hmm. with their own personal problems, and then their problems within the team. And then hashing that out to like, carry on throughout the series that's something that i'm really interested in mm-hmm. and it's cool because once we watch an episode we get more development from particular characters uh than we did the last one and it's just it's it's constantly growing yeah and you can see it right yeah and like with rita far like um you know the very first episode she's dealing with her issues with larry trainer a person that she's always known at this house and so it's always been like just them two and it's kind of addressed in this episode where it's like, hey, this is the time where I need you to support me. Mm-hmm. And like they've been supporting each other because it used to only be them. And then in the last episode, Rita Farr's next step in her character development was with Cyborg, which was more of like a a falling, um, more of like adding on to the turmoil, mm-hmm. brought her down even lower. She was really struggling with depression in that one. And then the character development with this one is taking another step with Elliot. And so I'm trying to think like how hard, like like the finessing of that character development where they go, yeah, this is the steps that we want to take with the Rita Farr character, but we're introducing these characters and they somehow get to also play a role in, in building that out for her. It's not like every episode we have Larry train a Rita Farr hour mm-hmm. where they go, all right, well, I guess we need to beef up this character so let's just do let's just uh, make up a scene where Larry Trainer and mm-hmm. Rita Farr could do mm-hmm. uh, date night number forty-seven. I get what you mean, and, yeah, yeah, yeah. and it's like, wow, you guys actually you brought in a character who has to struggle with killing themselves or being killed, and Rita Farr, an actress who's been like grotesque, like like turned into like a uh, less of a. Uh, Marilyn Monroe and more into like a man of a thousand faces like horror person 
and she struggles with like suicide and that because that's the whole point of Doom Patrol is these freaks that they hate their lives and they do think about stuff like this. They think about suicide and it's like, wow, we introduced a character right for that conversation, for Rita Farr to have that conversation and realize that she might not be talking to Elliot but also to herself mm-hmm. about, what does she say? Like the world is a terrible, ugly, beautiful place. It's astounding. Mm-hmm. And she was like, don't add... Don't add don't add that burden of killing yourself to that. Like don't make it worse. <laughs> um Is Cyborg supposed to be playing like this whole Phil Jackson role towards Rita? Where he's like, you know, getting the egging, like I'm trying to get you get I'm, I'm just negging. trying to get you to get, yeah. Be, get yeah, what is it? Negging. I just had to get you there. Yeah. Negging. Yeah. yeah. That's I don't like that word. Oh, I hate it. It's terrible. Yeah. But um, is he doing that role? He's like That's purposely excluding her. He's constantly saying, well, you didn't want any part of this. So why would you be in here, Rita? And like he, because mm-hmm. I think he knows her potential. Mm-hmm. Is that what I, I'm picking that the up The first from him. time I thought he was sin- genuine with When? The, when they were on the bench at the motel? they were, uh, he was explaining the 37 different dimensions that are known at the moment. Oh, in this episode. Okay, yeah. Yeah, yeah 37, not 52. Not 52 yet, but 37. Um, and he was trying to do that. Rita Farr shows up. She didn't get her invite, she says. And... Um, Hold up at the Western Union. Great. <laughs> Anytime you can reference the Western Union and like, <laughs> it I just automatically makes you sound like, oh yeah, you're old timey. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> I love that. It's just an instant like, okay, throw in a Western yeah. Union dialogue. I used to be, the, she uh, she used to be my least anticipated character for this show because I was so used to the Grant Morrison lineup, which doesn't mm-hmm. include Rita Farr. But this version of Rita Farr is so good because in my opinion, it's original because it's not the Arnold Drake yeah. Golden Age Rita Farr. And I'm I'm in love with what this character says and mm-hmm. does and all that and, and the things she goes through. I enjoy it a lot. I've really grown to love her a lot. Yeah. It's like you remember that little short, that Doom Patrol short, um that had Rita Farr like uh on vacation and she was a big blob and she was like getting servants she, and all no, that. No, she stuff was like super that. overweight, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So it's it's kinda yeah. like that, but without her having the past as Elastigirl. Yeah. So she still has like Hollywood uh, Madonna. I don't know Diva. if you can use that because she came before Madonna. Marilyn Monroe. Marilyn Monroe. Yeah. Aspect Diva. Pre-Madonna. Audrey <laughs> use Hep- pre-Madonna? Aud- <laughs> Aud- <'Cause> Aud- <laughs> <it's-> <laughs> oh, God. That's funny. Audrey Hepburn? Has that not been said pre-Madonna? I don't... I don't... Maybe that's where the... <sighs> etymology comes from it was pre-madonna no oh, you're being a pre-madonna is that, it, be, is it, it that's because that's a documentary you're... about madonna oh my about god her it writes growing... it fucking yeah. self mark it's, it's a documentary about madonna it's called pre hyphen madonna mm-hmm. nate good one does it already exist this already has it to has exist. to exist someone write this <laughs> um we can write it she probably wrote it she probably coined it pre-madonna yeah yeah Previously unreleased tracks, probably some album. Um, it's weird when your name becomes household like that, like Madonna. What do you do? Share. I think she's share. <laughs> <laughs> um, when when Cyborg for, first has that conversation of, oh, I thought you didn't want to be part of the team. So, but if you want to help, I can. F-, I thought that was genuine. I thought that was like him, like, oh. 
after oh last, really i see like it was but the like second time hmm. where i was like wait a minute he's probably negging yeah. the shit out of her and she's she's it's like i just had i just needed to get you there kind of thing yeah yeah i i got that from the second one okay once willoughby shows up and she's like well how do i help and it's mm-hmm. like that's what i got you got that from the beginning yeah i got that from the beginning because the way that cyborg's tone was it wasn't like um oh i'm i'm sorry i didn't i didn't plan on you being here and it wasn't like apologetic Mm -hmm. and it wasn't like um too on the asshole spectrum where it's like oh yeah i planned on you not being here so why are you even here like why Mm -hmm. it wasn't like why are you interrupting my plan here it was more along the lines of like, yeah, we're doing this from what our last conversation was. You're not into it, so I'm just going with it. But if you want to be into it, I can make some room. It's like yeah. acceptance. And it, it is. I think it's like a Phil Jackson thing that he's doing. So, yeah, I got that from the beginning. Mm-hmm. I didn't see it as as, as too harsh. Which um, I liked it. We get more, we get more um, character development between Larry Trainer and his negative energy. Um, you're a huge Larry Trainer fan. They, uh, mm-hmm. Tell me what you thought about um, this this time around, this episode. It's a little confusing. A little confusing? Um, yeah. Because, uh, I, I mean, I haven't come across a negative man story where he's... Actively trying to understand the energy. Or more so where he doesn't understand the energy. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, like, I think uh, classic Doom Patrol, they're always just like, yep. It, yeah, he uses no, it. He is, just goes yeah. into it. He yeah. says, go, negative man. He passes mm-hmm. out. It's funny. He does his thing, and then he comes back to the collapsed body, and, and they go, oh, what happened? Yeah. But this is like, it's, it's I hate you. Yeah, <laughs> I hate it's, you. It's weird. I don't understand um, the relationship between the negative energy and Larry. Larry obviously does not like it. I don't think they like each other, but it's like, uh, they don't like each other, but they got to coexist and maybe this is the first time we're seeing stuff about how the negative energy is sustained Mm -hmm. through actual negative energy like in the gerard way thing Mm -hmm. because he talks uh there gets to a point where niles somewhat communicates with the negative energy it's in these little therapy sessions that niles was taping And that uh, the negative energy was popping on for Larry to wake up to so he could, mm-hmm. you know, get a little bit more knowledge about the fact. It's also for us as the viewers. Um, but he ends up building this contraption, magic bullet. That, <laughs> it's like a blender <laughs> bottle. It is. And like a <laughs> it's light totally bulb. a magic bullet thing. Um, which is a great prop, by the it's way. Like a little, little potato. <laughs> I've seen people thing. put magic bullet things on like, uh, like, like, like plasma guns and stuff, like little yeah. cartridges. Put, it like, works. You take perfect. a little magic bullet cup and mm-hmm. you put like a little light bulb in there and yeah. and, and turn it on and do a little. Zzz, I had zzz, one guy zzz, that did that used the magic bullet to grind up his weed, which is fucking bananas. And like there was like a burn market, like it, like it was like he had some stupid reasoning where like he had to have a burn indentation. It was like, oh yeah, that makes sure like that's where everything gets caught up. And it's like shut it's the like, fuck no, up. You putting, got a magic bullet, and you're just blending up your weed into dust. Get out your, of here. Yeah, you're putting your weed in a blender. <laughs> you're, get out of here, you <laughs> scumbag. Anyway, um, so he ends up trying to. He ends up uh, talking to him, and the one word that we get out of the negative yeah. energy. It's the question of um, how do you 
live inside Larry mm-hmm. Trainer essentially, mm-hmm. and he says it's through torture. You know, he says torture. Yeah, which I have. There's so many things that went in through my brain once that is happening because one i don't understand it and i don't Mm -hmm. expect larry to understand it yeah he comes back with a little bit of dialogue where they're about to fight and he says at least this guy likes a fight so it's kind of a little context cluey for me thinking that the negative energy is just that it is feeding off the negative energy so if he does like a fight that's what he has to go through how does he sustain himself with torture and agony through larry trainer so that he can be angry and all this stuff so that the negative energy can come out. We are getting a little bit of a pattern where the negative force comes out when Larry is distressed. They say mm-hmm. that in the episode. Yeah. It's also a negative energy thing. Yeah. You're giving off stress. You're, you're, you're frantic. You're all this stuff. Ah, I want to mm-hmm. scream. And instead of screaming, the negative energy comes out. Yeah. Is yeah. that what we're seeing? I, we're slowly I, I, we're I, painting that picture? I think, um, I think you're right. And I, and I think that this negative man stems mostly from... Gerard ways I think I think this negative man in the TV show is most influenced by ways interpretation of the character which is like this negative this like it's a cosmic it's force. an alien yeah it's, it's an, an alien. alien it's an alien <laughs> it's an alien that possesses this guy's body because in my opinion Larry trainer has all this pent-up negative emotion in him that it just was like you're my home now mm-hmm. you, you were like you were ripe with the stuff and you're ripe with it. And I'm just going to live here. And, (laughs) and, and so he stays in there because, um, like naturally Larry trainer was like just this lightning rod of negative energy. Yeah. And he was like, he doesn't want to leave. Larry trainer wants him gone, but he's like, nah, dude, I, I need you now. Like I, I have to live with you now because I, I'm waiting for the day where Larry yeah. is in full bandage and he has to, when something has to happen and he, you know, s- starts a fight with Cliff or something. Mm-hmm. Like, come on, hit me, punch me, hit me. Yeah. One of these things. I think that's like, he can probably antagonize like Hammerhead or someone and, and, and be like, That'll I be need, I need negative energy and I need it now. Yeah. So this guy can go. Um, and, and I think that's, that's what the negative energy is trying to explain to Larry Trainer, but also at the same time trying to explain it to us as an audience. So mm-hmm. it works very well. Um, but it's also one of the things like if you don't know the source material and you're going into this episode blind, which I'm sure some people are. Yeah. A good majority a lot, yeah, of a, a, viewers you know. are going into it without knowing it. It's confusing. Mm-hmm. I'm forming this, you know, now an hour after we saw the episode and, and talking it out with you. So I have time to decompress Mm -hmm. and and actually shuffle through my thoughts Mm -hmm. but watching it at face value right there super confusing Mm -hmm. if you don't know negative man and if you don't know like that it's an energy force that kind of that at at one point was told to feed Mm -hmm. off of negative energy you could be like i have no idea why this electric circulatory system is popping out of this guy yeah and and the other one that i'm trying to think that the other one that might be hard to read into uh, this show, this show is uh, uh, is putting its chips down that you know the cyborg story because it doesn't really, it it doesn't hand feed you, spoon feed you like the cyborg, cyborg origin, the cyborg origin because it's like it's that's something you should probably know. The, I'm trying to think if there is anything that actually hand feeds you a cyborg cyborg origin. Um, 
He has Titan, not, Teen not, Titans. Justice League really didn't do it either. That's, the original <laughs> Teen Titans didn't do it. The Justice only... League Volume 1 is a is cyborg origin story, though. Which one? It's so Volume 1 of Justice League, New 52. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm t- you, yeah, I'm talking about the movie. It, it skips it, from Dawn of Justice to okay. Justice League. It, it skips it, and it's like, it happened. Gosh, this chair. Um, And then Young Justice does an origin. Um... Justice League War does an origin. So young, he's in Young Justice. Now, I want the spoiler. Shut up to everybody that's uh, listening. This is a Young <laughs> Justice spoiler. How is he assembled? Is it Mother Box? Is it, it, is is a, it Apocalypse? It's a Father Box. Uh, yeah, you said that about yeah, it. What is the yeah. difference? This is Lex Luthor making it? No, 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 no. Oh. It's, it, they're still, they are still devices of Apocalypse, apocalypse but they... Apocalypse. Yeah. It's only one planet. Apocalypse. <laughs> uh, and the Mother Boxes and Father Boxes don't get along or something they're, mm-hmm. they're i don't know it's it's kind of weird but it's in context of the show it's amazing and i like it and i like what they're doing with that cyborg mm-hmm. um they don't speak the same language what do you mean it's like taking a like a like a captive orca whale and trying to put him back in the ocean they speak different languages he's going to get killed by the other wild orca whales i watched the documentary it's very sad I, I think I know where you're going, and <laughs> yes, I agree. <laughs> um, but uh, the Rita Far is, is not something that you can really ha- even have source material. So you and I are kind of experiencing this with nothing to really go off of. We know w- when we're doing these, we're not going, oh, like this, you know, when we talk about Cliff Steele and Crazy Jane and Negative Man, we go, mm-hmm. yeah, Gerard Way's interpretation of Grant Morrison's first issue of Doom mm-hmm. Patrol is, is Crazy Jane, Cliff Steele, like straight from the pages. Those characters have things that we can pull from and, and compare and be like, yeah, they're doing this. Mm-hmm. But Rita Fars isn't something that I've... No, because it's Silver Age. And they're not pulling it, from Silver Age it, stuff. It's it's also... Well, Rita Farr is. I think she is more predominantly a Silver Age character. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's the Arnold Drake character. Yeah. And we've got that interpretation. Or we've got, yeah, her representation in it. Mm-hmm. Um so, but like, and bringing that into the surrealism of Grant Morrison mm-hmm. is what they're doing in the show because that that didn't happen in the books. So it's all new. And Negative Man has some leniency. It's a little bit different, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. but it's not Rebus. So it's not Rebus. That's a big thing. That's a like I said. Uh, I forget which episode I said it on, but I I hope that there is a mini arc where he does go go into a Rebus mode. For like a couple episodes, and it'd be nice to see that kind of, to see Rebus, and then be like, all right, we're, we'll retcon that mm-hmm. three episodes in, and and then go back to Negative Man, just so that we could say we did it and we saw it, and it was like an episode he had. Um, but I, I think that would have been cool to see. Um, but yeah, it's, um, I think they are playing it out kind of like a an alien story. Yeah, which is what happened in Gerard Way's thing. It's yeah. like it, they were almost. It's like they but were like, like a. Science. They were a society. They were like yeah. alien negative energy society. It was almost like a Green Lantern court. Yeah, but they're like the powered by the negative mm-hmm. negative energy in the cosmos. Yeah, um, and so yeah, it is. It might be hard to follow. Um, I guess if you haven't read the books, but it, it shouldn't matter. But if you if if it is your first time kind of experiencing Negative Man and, and like his his mythos, um, I guess seeing it as an alien story, kind of like a, a fourth kind, 
or like signs kind of alien story, then you might be like, then you might be like on, on the same page. Mm -hmm. You know, you might be like, yeah, I understand that. Um, but, um, Zeus, what are you doing? He's reaching for the microphone stand. But <laughs> Is that what he's doing? Yeah, you know, he, he knows he can't reach Cat's it. Cat's always curious. Um, but then we we are... Um, Let's get back on track. I talked about episode. Grant Morrison. You know, we, we <clears throat> have our Grant Morrison and um, Crazy Jane kind of interpretation of the characters in this show. And this is a this kind of punches in that that idea that these two work side by side because i always kind of got that vibe in the in the first time reading grant morrison's doom patrol i was always like okay crazy jane and and cliff Steele are like a pairing oh yeah that and, yeah they, they yeah. are yeah but this seems like the most punched in because they're yeah because, i know what you um, mean cliff it's a little I don't want to say forced, but they have similar dynamics and they have that father daughter relationship that they are purposely writing into the characters. Yeah. And, and, and it feels more punched in than I've ever experienced. Cause I always felt like that was my mind making that like, like I was pairing them when I read the stories, like, Oh, Mm -hmm. close deal and crazy Jane. That's a, that's a thing. in in some shape or form, um, just because the very first issue does that uh, crawling from the wreckage. Um, but this seems to to really punch it in because he spends a lot of time with Hammerhead trying to understand why Hammerhead does not like him. And when they need to go rescue Elliot in the beginning of the episode, um, they, he does this thing where he's like, okay, well I'm with Hammerhead. And then Vic Cyborg is like, well, okay, well, I have to go in there and help and, and be a part of the team. And he goes, okay, but I'm with Hammerhead. And that was like the first time I was like, oh, they're really, they're really like, hey, we want you to know that these two are like, mm-hmm. they're, they're gonna, pals. Yeah, they're pals. They're, you know, they're going to be side, side by side and you're going to see them a lot. And I, yeah, for some reason, I always thought I was making that a thing in my head. But, um, well, now it's validated. It's real. It's yeah. It's it's kind of punch- is it upsetting? Are you no? It's just um, I guess for the first time there's like context of why that is a thing. Yeah, and with this show does that because it's like oh, she represents. Um, there's this really cool thing that happens where they uh, the uh, the curator of the unwritten book, the the queen of this of the Nurnheim, the Archons, the Archons, the Archons. Yeah, yeah, um, the Queen Archon. She's showing them how they see themselves. And so she shows Cliff Steele sees himself as still Brendan Fraser, real human body self. Um, And then Crazy Jane views herself as a woman staring at a broken mirror of 64 different personalities. And then they go, this is what you guys think of each other. And, uh, Crazy Jane sees Robot Man as Robot Man covered in in blood and guts because he is a like Frankenstein's monster kind of person. He's just a weapon. I think she says he's just the embodiment of toxic masculinity. And what uh, Cliff Steele sees in Crazy Jane is his daughter Clara. Like he does see Crazy Jane and as a daughter 
that he never had, uh, that he never took responsibility of caring for. And that's why she suffers from these multiple personalities. So he sees uh, Crazy Jane as his own failure, like a representation of his failures. And he's trying to make amends with that. And so um, it is kind of establishing a father-daughter relationship. And so that's why it's kind of like, oh, they're hammering it in because they want you to know this is how they think of the, think of each other. And I don't think that's ever, it's never addressed after crawling from the wreckage of the first issue of Grant Morrison's Doom Patrol. It's always like, like they had a emotional bonding moment when, when the hangman's daughter shows up and she's doing the painting of Maya Dern. But then after that, it's, it's the, the fire team that is, Robot Man, Rebus, which is Negative Man, and uh, Crazy Jane. So it's always like, oh, those three deal with stuff as a as a group, mm-hmm. and like what their relationship interpersonally among the three was ambiguous. It's not as punched in as it is in this show, and that's a benefit to the show because the show is making you care about the conversations that they have with each other. Um. And that's what I, I, I guess I really like it. Um, but I'm wondering if that steps on the toes of what people might have thought in their minds, how the relationship goes. You know what I mean? I know exactly I guess what you mean. it's like artist interpretation, but then it's like someone telling you like, no, this is the answer. Yeah. Kind of thing. Um, I'm cool with it. Um, I liked how they do a third perspective um, because the, the Archon is saying that Everything is based on perspective or perception. And so after they do, this is how you think of yourselves. This is how you guys think of each other. And then this is what you really are. And they show Robot Man as just a brain on the ground. And it's like, that, that's what you are. That is the reality of it. Um, uh, because that's kind of like how I think of myself. And I don't know if that's how you think of yourself. Just an organ and a vessel yeah it's like i think of this brain that's me and then this is the apparatus no i'm i'm more of along the lines of um there's no it's one no no no, no, there's no right or wrong yeah there's no right difference um i'm i'm i see myself as as one being mind mind and body Mm -hmm. Mm um yeah Mm -hmm. i don't really see it as as apparatus in or uh, I don't I don't see organ and apparatus. Yeah, I think I pre- I think I like have a preference. I think it's I think maybe if there had to be an answer, it is both mind and body. Yeah. But I think um, I think like my preference would be like I wish it was just a brain because then I could like change out the apparatus or something. But that's like going yeah, some. That's like, uh, that's I I I that understand my... why you think that. Mark. <laughs> yes. And that's great. Yeah. Um, I, I there's Let nothing us know that, your thoughts and <laughs> what you prefer. There's nothing that I'd compare it to my own self where I I I no, I don't there's think there's no preference. It's just that's how you think it is and that's it's not even that's um hmm. I'm trying to think about it more as organ inside what's the, of an apparatus. What's the Smith's quote that's you, used at the end of the volume? Does the mind rule the body or does the oh, body yeah. rule the mind? That's from the Smiths. Yeah, it's a Smiths lyric. Yeah, it was a. Uh, um, yeah, that is at the end of the volume. Um, it's it's a great. Uh, that's a great 
<laughs> highway to go down to. <laughs> and I want to like think about it more on my own. Mm-hmm. Um, because I feel like if you have the separation of body and mind, you can achieve things differently. Um, I mean, yeah, it's like the perspective that you set up. Like you, okay, so you what is that? do a lot of races and you run and you uh, do like these these physical challenges. Obstacle course races. Yeah, that me personally, I have no interest in, mm-hmm. but I know it would be betterment for my body as itself. You know yeah. what I mean? So the way that I see it, um, I, I see you seeing these uh, obstacle courses and races and things as uh, a way to better your body. I think of it as a game. Yeah, exactly. When I work out and stuff, like, it's always like, I always think... Um, like you're leveling up kind of thing. Yeah. But my mindset sticks to it as um, I'm, I, I have to get everything in sync for me to do that. I have to get my mind, I have to get my body ready for me to go out and, and do those things, like be it a physical challenger or whatnot. Even me going on microphone and doing things like our, our radio show in the morning, doing this, any sort of, like, I see it more of a, um, man, that's the difference between you. I see more of my life <laughs> on a daily basis as a performance um, that I have to, yeah, that I, I have to play the part of of doing these things, doing a good job at work, uh, playing the part of time management, playing the part of all these things. It's like I have to be good at that role mm-hmm. versus separating it as a mind-body thing. I think I'm all present because I have to be. Like I have to I have to get ready. I have to do things. I have to be... Every day is showbiz, yeah, Exactly. Like I have to present myself in a meaningful manner versus separating it, working on like, okay, this is just something that I can use my mind towards or just something that I can use my, my body towards or whatever. Yeah. I'm wondering how... Like if that would happen to me, like this is how you think of yourself. This is how you think of others, and mm-hmm. this is how you, this is what you really are. You would believe that they would. It, your, yours depiction is a brain. That's it, just a brain on the on the ground, or is it a brain? Uh, I think if it was like, oh, this is what you think you are, it would show me as like a brain within an apparatus. Okay, and and then like uh, how people think of me. I don't know. It's probably it's just, <laughs> this is this is I don't weird. Know. This is what you guys tuned into. I don't know what how you would think of me. I don't know what I think of. Uh, I think the character thing that you said is how I think of you sometimes. Yeah. Well, that I know that you put on the show sometimes. <laughs> you got to baby, I, and that's just because I'm super aware of things. Yeah. And I I know when things are when people are kind of playing a role. Yeah. You know when you meet strangers and you're like, this guy's really putting on a performance. Mm-hmm. For someone that doesn't exist when he goes home and he goes home and he clocks out and turns to who he really is as a yeah. person, I know this is this ain't you and i i I notice that on a daily basis with a lot of people and um and so but then I wouldn't know what like oh, this is a reality of who you really are, yeah, but for robot man, it was you know this is what you really are, you're really just a brain that's that's still in uh, a tin can, yeah, um but with Crazy Jane, the reality of her is the name that I've been saying for a while and that you and I, excuse me, you and I talked about like, oh, I don't think they'll ever mention her real name. Oh, yeah. She's just Crazy Jane in this TV She's show. Jane, yeah. They dropped the name. They dropped the name K. Like, you are K, who's dealt with a terrible past. And it's like, K Chalice is Crazy Jane's name. If you don't know, now you know. It's in the books. K Chalice, whenever they say the name, they're referring to the human body 
who was affected and created the multiple personalities. Does that mean Crazy Jane is one of the personalities or is Crazy Jane just the alias that Kay has been using to describe herself? That question remains to be seen. But um, for now, I think the golden rule is that when she's normal Kay Chalice, they refer to her as Crazy Jane. That's who Crazy Jane is. Hmm. Um, do you think Crazy Jane is a separate persona from Kay Chalice? Yes. I'm okay. not entirely sure if Kay Chalice exists anymore inside mm-hmm. that body. Mm-hmm. Um, or maybe deep, deep, deep. deep may, probably way deep down. At the core of yeah. the underground. Because Crazy Jane, or Jane, is the persona that keeps all the other ones in check. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> She's the container. Mm-hmm. The vessel. No. The reality. K, K would be the vessel. Mm-hmm. Um, Jane is... J- Jane's the conductor. But that's kind of hard to say because then Driver 8 exists. <laughs> and in the book, Driver 8 is the one that keeps him in check in the underground. Yes. So it's a lot different. Mm-hmm. Crazy Jane in the book on the outside is the persona that she adopted... Um, Maybe we're not looking. Maybe we need to go back and and see why she chose Crazy Jane because they do reference Kay Chalice, um, Magnus, whatever his name in, is in the Grant Morrison. Yeah, I've uh, I'm not caught up with Gerard Way. Um, um, I'm not sure if Kay Chalice becomes a name that they. I, I don't I, think so. Well, well, it's different because in in Gerard Way's run, they made a point that all of the things that happen in Grant Morrison's Doom Patrol run still existed. Mm-hmm. Like that, that did happen. Mm-hmm. Like they got rebooted, but dropped off into the new 52 world or DC re- rebirth world, yeah. whatever you want to call it. They got dropped into it. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause Cliff is, you know, they, they're all separated. They're all getting back together and, and they do say, well, where's Jane? We got to find Jane. And she's yeah. running a cult in Nevada or some yeah. shit. Um, the all mother or something. Yeah, so I don't think they say anything about Kay and his. Could but be it wrong. did happen. But it did happen. Yeah. So it does exist. Um, but how often is Kay brought up in in the book? I don't. I feel like it's n- not so much. Like it's it's mostly as in the beginning. They mostly refer to it as Jane. It's it's mostly in the very first issue, crawling from the wreckage, because it is. Um, that guy who who's kind of holding our hands and introducing us to the characters. Oh, this is Cliff Steele. This is Larry Trainer before he merges with the the doc the nurse to become Rebus. And then this is Kate Chalice. She has multiple personalities. Um, but from here on out, we're going to call her Crazy Jane. And so that's why it was always weird. Where I was like, I thought her name was Kate Chalice, and it's like, no. Well, it is, but <laughs> not anymore. It's like. You have so many other personalities, it doesn't even matter. Don't even keep track of it. Um, but then when Robot Man eventually goes into the underground and learns what happens, what had happened to Kay Chalice, then it's like, okay, we'll bring back the name because we need to talk about the human that was affected. The reason that these personalities got refracted and multiplied. Um, and so, yeah, it's like we, we get that name drop. And by showing me that in the episode, mm-hmm. again, we're doing the flavor of the episode type thing within the episode, but then we have like the entire series to think about the character development. It was nice to see them 
drop that like here's what you really are you are k chalice a, a, a child who was like severely harmed and badly it, abused by her father badly abused um and so it's nice that they dropped that because it's it's foreshadowing a promise to me as the audience member that hey eventually we're going to talk about what happened to her and it's going to suck like mm-hmm. it's going to be very like the hawk the hank and don episode of titans like the way that that starts with like hawk's origin story mm-hmm. of like dealing with, with child abuse like that like that was even watching that i was like i knew it was coming and i as soon as i saw the coach i was like nope yeah this guy needs to die like this is absolutely terrible um and we're gonna have to go through that you know uh, again if they want to continue the origin that's established in the grant morrison book like we're gonna have to go through that but it's gonna be probably trippier because it's got the underground that we got to deal with and things can get really uh like psychedelic but it's it's gonna suck like finding out about her um so if you don't know the social material uh good news you can actually catch up with all the comic books um i feel like i'm doing an ad read but we're not sponsored at all by dc universe um but that'd be cool. But if you're watching the show, you have the ability to go through the book and look yes. at all the materials. So definitely all check it Grant out. All of Grant Morrison's comic books, the first six issues of Gerard Way's Doom Patrol is on there as well. Um, the entire 1989 series and the entire 1963, 1963 series of Arnold Drake, the original Doom Patrol is all on the DC Universe app. You can read them all. And then you can rewatch the episodes if you want, and maybe even re-listen to our episodes and tell your friends to re-listen to these episodes. Um, but yeah, that's going to be it for today. Uh, I think that covers everything about Colt Patrol. Next week we're going to be talking about episode five, which is called Paw Patrol, as in like a dog or an animal. So that'll be interesting to hear about. Um, and yeah, if you enjoyed everything you heard, you can find us on all social media at Radio Doom Patrol. You can find us at the Facebook group if you want to chat with us and other listeners of the show and maybe guests who have listened, uh, been a part of our other podcasts or maybe episodes of this podcast in the future. You can go to the Facebook group, the DC Cinematic Minute Listener Society. Join us there and talk about today's episode or any episodes that you're catching up on. And we'll catch you guys next time. I don't know if it was magic or science that got the Doom Patrol into this mess, but frankly, I prefer my Colts to have a little more personality. Until next time, this is Doom Patrol Radio. Another girl in the-